Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of our listeners, wherever you are on the planet. This is World Smart, a podcast of the Aaron Fox Law Firm. We are your hosts and Aaron Fox International Practice Group co-chairs. I'm Hunter Carter. And I'm Malcolm McNeil, and we'll be talking with partners, other lawyers, special guests about topics of interest in the law of international business and international business. Well, Malcolm, today we have uh, one of the partners in our New York office with us for an exciting conversation about a real hot issue globally. She is a trade and customs lawyer by training and practice, but she's been devoting a lot of attention lately to the important subject of forced labor. And her name is Angela Santos. Angela, we're thrilled to have you here with us. Welcome. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We're delighted to have you not only in the firm with us, but as our special guest today. And I think our listeners will be very interested in some of the things that you have to share about the world of international trade and business from the perspective of your eyes as a, as a customs lawyer. But before we dig in, just uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Give us some of your background. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Massachusetts and I've always said that I was going to grow up, live in Massachusetts forever. I'm a Patriots fan. I probably shouldn't be telling this to people <laughs> in New York, but then I moved to New York and I said I was going to be here for two years and I ended up going to law school here, becoming a lawyer here, and now I might be a, a New Yorker. Although I do like to go back to Massachusetts very frequently and travel abroad all the time as well. Well, when it's non-COVID times anyways. Interesting. Malcolm, you want to ask the first question? Sure, sure. Well, Angela, I, you, as you know from our, our prior discussions, I, my practice area has a large focus in Asia. And obviously, the issue that we're facing in terms of the Uyghurs and the treatment of the Uyghurs has been in the news. Tell us a little bit about how that is being treated by the Chinese diplomatically, if you know. And let us know also what are the things that, uh, what, what's in the news, just what's in the news in that regard regard that we're not seeing in the headlines. Sure. So what's happening to the Uyghurs is horrible. It's it's essentially amounting to genocide. And I think the United States might be the only country that's actually said that publicly. But what they're doing in China to the Uyghur population is essentially trying to eliminate them. There is detention. There is cultural and religious indoctrination. There is terrorizing. There is forced labor, of course. There is torture. So they're doing horrible things to that population because they really want a homogeneous population in China. Now, there's all this media and press around it in the United States and globally, but the story is told differently in China. China is saying that the Western Hemisphere is really trying to block the progress of China and is really just making up these lies about this region. And there's no forced labor and no genocide occurring on any of their population there. And because of the way media is uh, disseminated there, the public believes them. And so they are boycotting U.S. companies. They're boycotting companies that publicly speak out against what's happening in the Uyghur region. What is happening in the broad international context? In other words, are other Western countries or is Europe adjoining the U.S. in the condemnation or are they taking a more cautious stance or are they more aggressive? How strong is our coalition if there is one? 
Sure. So there was a G7 summit where all the G7 countries agreed to work collectively to stop uh, the use of forced labor in global supply chains. So that's a good thing, because right now the United States is the only country that really enforces forced labor importation prohibitions. There are other countries like Mexico and Canada that are required under the USMCA to prohibit, but it's my understanding that it's not actually enforced today. Those prohibitions aren't enforced. And from what I have been told, there hasn't been one detention or seized shipment as a result of forced labor in those countries. However, the U.S. is really pushing it. This is an important area for the United States, and they're trying to get their trading partners on board as well. So I believe the EU has some pending legislation on due diligence laws, which includes supply chain due diligence and certifying that there's no forced labor in their supply chain. Canada last year put in their regulations that importation with forced labor is not allowed. And Australia has some measures as well. So slowly other countries are joining this prohibition and and trying to prevent forced labor from being in global supply chains. If I could follow up on Malcolm's question about the coalition, I know we've talked so far just for the example of the Uyghur population and the terrible things China is doing to them. But the forced labor problem exists elsewhere. Tell us more about that. Sure. So forced labor is not limited to China. It's not limited to that Uyghur population. Um, A couple of years ago, the United States enacted CATSA, um, which essentially prohibits the use of North Korean labor um, for imported goods into the United States because they learned that China and other countries were importing or trafficking, rather, is a better term, people from North Korea to work for free in order to keep prices low and sell to the Western Hemisphere at lower prices. Now, that's also not the only region that has been accused of forced labor. Many, many other countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo, some of your gold may be uh, mined with forced labor. India, certain cigarettes and tobacco products, Malawi, there's tobacco from Malawi has been an issue with forced labor. Gloves, last year, PPEs were extremely important. And one of the largest producers of PPE, Top Glove, has been named as using forced labor and their goods are now prohibited from entering the country. So there are a lot of other regions that are using forced labor, even though the press is largely focused on China. And I did want to note that Customs maintains a list of withhold release orders related to forced labor. So U.S. Customs and Border Protection is the agency tasked with enforcing forced labor. And when they have reasonable information to suspect that goods are made with forced labor, they're authorized to issue what's called a withhold release order. That allows them to ban the importation of goods that are subject to that withhold release order from being imported into the United States. Now, those withhold release orders can be limited to a certain commodity and supplier, or it can be region-wide. Most recently, cotton and tomato products from the Xinjiang region were banned, and there probably will be more of those in the future. Products actually reach us here in the United States? Is, is that a big problem in terms of volume of products entering the U.S.? Oh, yes. 
Yes. So for example, cotton and Xinjiang, Xinjiang produces something like 20% of worldwide cotton and 80% of the cotton that's used in China. And you can imagine how many of your shirts are made in China, how many pairs of shoes are made in China. So much cotton and cotton products are produced in China. So it's very, very likely something in your closet has Xinjiang cotton in it that was produced with forced labor. And that would be, that was what I was about to say. One of the things that we, again, we've been hearing rumors and things like that over the last 30 years. I mean, I've been going to China since 1993 and we've heard these, they've been mostly anecdotal. What has really pushed this into the forefront today? In other words, has there been like a watershed moment where everybody woke up and said, you know, we're really going to have to focus on this type of behavior and, and create these economic economic sanctions? I think the NGOs have really been pushing this. As you've said, this has been happening for a while, but I think that the abuses on the Uyghurs in the Xinjiang region have really been increasing in the last few years. And it's not just forced labor in the Xinjiang region. Now they're transplanting people from that region to other places in China and forcing them to work at government-owned factories all around China, too. So it's sort of a dual thing. It's ramping up of what they're doing in China to this population. Also, media and NGO reports about these abuses. And then somebody in the administration took this on. For example, Rubio has really been a champion on this measure and now is pushing the United States and global partners to do something about this. And it's an important issue for the Biden administration that's really labor focused as well. These complaints, the reasonable information that you talked about that stimulates a withhold release order decision, they can come from anywhere, I assume. They might come from NGOs. They might come from competitors. What can companies do to deal with this risk and how do you advise them? Is it something like, you know, I do anti-corruption compliance work and there's a compliance world of, of professionals. We have model policies. We go to conferences together where we create an ecosystem where you know, companies know how to build up protections against one of their employees engaging in illegal payments. Is it as elaborate as that? Is it similar to that? What's, how does a company protect itself when all it's trying to do is get its consumers nice clothes? You're right. You're right. Couldn't, I mean, companies really, at the end of the day, just want to get their goods into the country so that they can sell them. There are a number of things that companies can do both proactively and reactively. We like to do things proactively so your goods don't get stopped at the border. So the first thing we do is we recommend that companies have a forced labor procedure and policies in place. And as part of that, they have a policy where they prohibit forced labor in their supply chain, and that's disseminated to both employees and suppliers. So there's accountability across the board. We want companies to map their supply chain to identify any risks of forced labor, see where your commodities are made, where your raw materials are made, and who makes them. Now, that's an exercise that was very rarely done by companies. They would have visibility on their first or second tier suppliers, but not beyond that. But now the government is really essentially wanting companies to know their entire supply chain and have documentation for their entire supply chain. So what we tell companies to do is map from start to finish 
know what companies are producing your goods and the raw materials that go into your goods, where they are, and cross-reference that with the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Withhold Release Order database to see if there's any nexus or risks, particularly for the Xinjiang region or China. Then we tell companies to get affidavits from their suppliers that say that they don't use forced labor, have purchase orders that require suppliers to certify that there's no forced labor or contracts that say the same thing. So that's what we say on the front end. Plan so that you never have a forced labor detention and your goods don't get withheld or, or stopped at the border. Now, if your goods are stopped at the border, it's an uphill battle. Um, so we never want to get there. But if if we do get there, there are things you can do. So we, again, go back to that map of your supply chain. And we need to go back to each and every supplier and ask them for documentation that shows that forced labor is not used, affidavits, transaction documents, transportation records. And I realize this is not an easy ask, but it's what Customs is asking for at this moment. One of the problems with what Customs is doing and the way they're enforcing these forced labor prohibitions is that it's ever-changing and it's not transparent. So company A could be treated a little bit differently than company B, or customs could require something more. So that's a problem that companies and importers are facing now, but customs is developing a plan to streamline this a bit more. I'm curious just to go back in the process a little bit. Are companies able to just accept a signed certification or some boilerplate in a purchase order? Or would a, say, a U.S. manufacturer of, I don't know, apparel or maybe uniforms or whatever that buys their source material from manufacturers and, and good suppliers outside the country, do they have to send representatives to check the facts, to go to sites where the clothes are manufactured and, and have eyes on the situation? And is that customarily done in the industry anyway? I, I would not think so, but maybe I'm not as informed as I need to be because it, it could get expensive. No, you're entirely right. They should do that. And companies were doing that sometimes on their first tier suppliers if they were big enough, but certainly not to their supplier. And in the past, they were able to use third party auditors to do this for them in a more cost-effective way sometimes. But now the government is saying that those third-party audits are ineffective because of the police state in China. They're not going to get correct answers. Employees are they're going to fear their employers, so they're not going to tell the truth. But you are correct that on-site visits help. Then you can see, you can hopefully see the state that employees are working in. If they're in a tight room and there's 100 people in a 10 by 10 room making shirts or <laughs> chemicals, then there's going to be a problem. So that certainly helps. And I did want to add, too, that internally at Aaron Fox, we identified this as being a problematic area for our clients and companies and importers into the United States as a whole. So we started this forced labor task force that stays on top of the developments in this space because they change every day. And to advise clients on what they can do to mitigate the risks in this space and then also respond to any kind of government inquiry or detention. And as part of that, we've developed an internal list of products that are produced in the Xinjiang region that I don't 
think is public anywhere and encompasses much more than silica, silicon, solar panels, and cotton products that are in the news. Do we have a checklist that if a client comes to me and says I'm purchasing, you know, for example, a X product from the Philippines and I want to make sure that this is somehow prohibited or otherwise on a restricted list, do we have a checklist for clients for them to do better due diligence than as Hunter suggested, just accepting somebody's declaration somewhere? Certainly. We have a supplier due diligence checklist that we Great. give to our clients And we recommend that they actually use not just when they onboard a supplier, but every time they visit or annually or, you know, periodically to ensure that even if there wasn't forced labor when you onboarded the supplier, there isn't in the future as well. Yeah, speaking from a litigation and regulatory standpoint, I think that if a company does anything less than have a routine inspection protocol, they're probably not going to pass muster for the most effective due diligence. And I'm not saying that as a ceiling, I'm saying that as a floor, because without that, you're simply engaging in ostrich-like behavior, knowing what I think about how the regulators would look at it. Would you agree with that? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. But most important is documentation. Customs is asking for documentation for the entire supply chain. And like I said, purchase records, affidavits, transportation records. They even asked for some companies for the wage records for cotton pickers. Can you imagine a U.S. brand or retailer having access to the cotton pickers' wage records? Yeah. Well, but who would provide those wage records that be the wage payer? And they're not probably going to give you records that may be all that reliable. I, I sort of wonder about the, the importer. Are they in a position to get any redress against their suppliers when it turns out that maybe despite all the best efforts of the importer, there's a problem? Yeah, but it depends on how your contract is drafted. Right. So if you have an indemnification clause, what we tell companies now is to add a clause in your contracts and purchase order that you have the right to refuse shipments of goods that are identified as being produced with forced labor um, and also add a clause that the company has to pay for any fallout of supplying goods with forced labor. You know, we have that situation come up all the time where uh, a client has a problem with an offshore company. We'll use China since that's been the dominant uh, country in this conversation. But there's just the analysis is not going to be effective on the issue of enforcing a judgment and getting damages, because on these cases, it would be difficult to see a Chinese judge ruling against a local supplier based on uh, human rights issues, which is what we're talking about here as a bundle. Right. No, you're you are completely right. But sometimes it's a U.S. company that buys from another U.S. company and isn't actually the importer. So in that case, you can get some redress. But when it's international, you're exactly right. It's so difficult to get anything. And that's why it's better to work proactively and ensure that there is no forced labor than try to collect after the fact when your goods are stopped at the border and you can't supply Nordstrom or you can't supply another manufacturer in the United States. So if there is withhold release order, which I gather means the order is not to release the goods from customs, what happens then? You, 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 the, the importer loses that shipment. That's the extent of their damages, I guess. And then they have to find other suppliers. 
Um, but are there other hidden costs? Well, of course, there's the I'll, I will tell you with the withhold release order, everything is not always lost. There is a 60 day period where you can refute the accusation that it's produced with forced labor. So you can provide documentation to prove that forced labor is not used. But like I said, that's an uphill battle. It takes forever for customs to review it. Sometimes they ask for more. So there is that. You can also export goods for the time being. There are other international locations that will accept the goods, although the intent of the United States is to eliminate that as an avenue. Now, one of the other concerns, like you said, is the public fallout of this or the public, the implications, the public relations implications on a company if they're found to be used with forced labor. In this day and age, people show their position with their pockets. So they may stop buying from you if they find out that the shirts that you produce or the tomato sauce that you produce is produced with forced labor. So the media fallout can sometimes be worse than that shipment that was stopped. I think I was just going to also add, if I were one of these companies and now I'm alarmed and alerted to this, uh, to the, the possibilities, if I don't do my homework and do my due diligence, is there anything I can do to start with before I have to run to my capable lawyers at Aaron Fox? What would you tell them? Are there websites? Uh, are there lists? I think you alluded to that earlier in the conversation. What would you advise me to do as a first step to determine whether or not I really need further guidance. Sure. The first step would be to look at the Aaron Fox forced labor website um, that has a wealth of information and reference points um, on this topic and and actually tells companies what they should do. First, uh, I would that also points to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection withhold release order page, um, where you can see the commodities and companies that are at risk and um, have been prohibited from importation into the United States. So that is the starting point, um, and you can without your lawyers start to engage your suppliers and ask them if there's forced labor and ask them to certify that there's no forced labor in your supply chain. So companies can proactively take action without involving their lawyers. And I might add to that, if I were advising that client, you know, I'd ask for that third party to certify and also to tell us what they've done to lead to the certification is sort of a two-step process, again, so that we can avoid any sitting in an uncomfortable meeting uh, showing that we were just relying on statements rather than anything else. Agreed. Also, I found in the textile business that that the trade associations are also helpful too. Uh, the U.S. Fashion Association, for example, I've spoken at their events and very uh, good. these issues on the on specifically on the labor laws rather than on the Uyghur issue. Terrific point. Very very helpful. I, I thought we might, with some of our remaining time, uh, learn just a little bit more about some of the other major issues of the day from a customs lawyer's point of view. We. <laughs> talked, uh, and and of course the whole country has been talking about tariffs. During the Trump administration, many tariffs imposed on imports used as kind of a tool as part of trade negotiations and things. Is that all over? Where do we stand? That is not all over. It's continued into the Biden administration. Although everyone has criticized tariffs as being a tool, this administration has found that it's actually effective, and it has continued to, to use 
Section 301 tariffs as a bargaining tool. I don't know if you've heard, but there are digital services taxes that are implemented or are proposed in many countries around the world. Now, to prevent that from happening, the United States proposed Section 301 tariffs on goods from those countries of up to 25%. Now, that scared everybody. And a lot of those digital services taxes have not proceeded. They've also used it as a threat to bring governments to the negotiation table. So now they're going to talk about it and hopefully come up with a solution. But for the most part, those Section 301 tariffs have not gone away. The China tariffs are still here. Companies are still paying between 7.5% and 25% tariffs. Um, There's actually a huge litigation around this right now. Something like 4,000 companies have filed suit in the Court of International Trade to challenge the List 3 and List 4A tariffs. Those involve a number of consumer goods, thousands and thousands of consumer goods, fashion, apparel, footwear, and companies are challenging those and hoping to get refunds on the tariffs that they've paid. And companies can still join that litigation. There are different viewpoints on the statute of limitations. But if your goods are on list 4A, you have until at least August 20th to join that litigation. So in some tariffs have not gone away. They're not going away anytime soon. So companies just have to do what they can to mitigate that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, with that, uh, Hundrish, I think we're prepared to conclude. Uh, Angela, thank you so much. I wanted to recap, but one of the most important things you told everybody is that we have an excellent resource on the Aaron Fox website uh, regarding these issues. And for those of you that want to follow up and learn more and also determine if you're in appropriate compliance or engaging in your appropriate due diligence, feel free to do so. Angela, I look forward to meeting you on the next trip to New York. Okay, I was I think I missed you somehow. Hunter stayed away. He stayed in his country home uh, while I was there because he didn't want to buy me dinner. (laughs) We'll have to meet sometime soon. We're going to delete that recording. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed this chat with you both. Thank you. Let me add my thanks to Malcolm's. This has been another episode of World Smart, and uh, we look forward to having you as our guest again soon. Thanks very much. Yes.